When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. It is the day before Friday, uh, and we have a great show planned for you today. Uh, Jimmy. Why do you always yell like that? Welcome. Why do you do that, man? It's an energy transfer, Jim. Do you know, I'm, I mean, I'm right here. It's in my ear, bro. It's an energy transfer. All right. The people in the audience, the viewers, the listeners, they can feel my excitement for today's show. Did you see that cup vibrate with your excitement? I did. The water moved, actually. But, dude, it's not very often that uh, you, you can have on a great sports legend. I'm here every day, Jason. Come on, man. Don't act like, come on, man. And, and, and before I go any further, because I don't even want dirty, why are you I see you got your good ranchers apron on, but you know, why the wife beater and the <laughs> the socks, the shoe I mean are you headed to the masterpiece lounge? I mean first what, of all, what? First of all, uh, you, you said that Isaiah was coming on yeah. the show. Today. I ain't even said that yet. You just preempted I didn't say who was coming on the show yet. You just preempted me. Isaiah Thomas is coming on the show. Now go ahead. The fake one. Not the real one. No, the real Isaiah Thomas, the NBA legend. Bottom line was, yeah. look here, man, I fired up the grill back there, okay? Yeah. I, I fired up the grill. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be jumping back and forth. I'm, I'm going to show you a thing or two, man. You know, we, 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 we got a little something, man. You know, you know I'm, I'm going to jump on the grills of steel. It's about you know? time. You know what uh, I'm saying? I'm, I'm going to show you a little something. You know, we, we, we got them good ranches. Uh, damn, if you're going to give me the meat, then I, damn, I'm, 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 we going to eat. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'm just gonna say I'm showing you're you a not thing appropriately. Or two. Well, I I don't know what you are. You you look crazy, and what and you got the white socks on the white beater. You know it's after Labor Day, man. You and Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, y'all. If know. he can, if he can wear that, I can wear this. <laughs> Come on, man. Well, back to my introduction. We have a fantastic T.J. Husmajada is going to join us later in the show, but we're going to start the show with uh, someone that. I consider a mentor, uh, someone that during his playing career, I'm just going to be quite honest, I didn't like Isaiah during his playing career. You too? Yeah. You know, I was a Magic Johnson super fan, and, uh, but just because you don't like somebody don't mean you don't respect them. I respected the dickens out of him. Yes. Respected Isaiah. And then later in life, getting to know Isaiah. I can truly say, I love Isaiah Thomas. This guy has been nothing but awesome to me. Uh, I hope I've returned the favor, uh, but I'm honored to have him on the show. And, you know, just because we're going to talk a little basketball with Isaiah, but we're also going to talk about life because that's what Isaiah and I talk about most is life. Before you go any further, I just want to make sure that I get, I, we get yeah. what you just said. Yeah. 
you hope that your relationship, you hope Isaiah values your friendship as much as you value his friendship? Yes. And you've won how many NBA championships? None. <laughs> Let's bring on. Man, uh, if you don't get on here and talk to this dude. My friend and mentor, the great Isaiah Thomas, one of the best human beings uh, I know, one of the, the great champions in sports. You know, And Isaiah, I got to say, Isaiah's over the years has won me over that I probably undervalued him as a player. And Isaiah makes a pretty compelling argument like, no, 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 Jason. Uh, when Magic was at his prime, when Larry Bird was at his prime, when Michael Jordan was at the beginning of his prime, Isaiah and Detroit put that work on. <laughs> hey, man, I seen Isaiah get busted up, get stitched up, come back, and finish playing the game. You know, that's a good place to start. Isaiah, <laughs> would you tell everybody that uh, how you and Carl Malone have become friends? Carl Malone, what, put 30 stitches in his forehead, and now him and Isaiah are friends. 42 stitches. <laughs> I don't get it right, boy. <laughs> I don't want to underestimate his physical contact. <laughs> but, but yeah, since, since, that, since that time, um, and, and as you know, Stockton uh, asked me to take him into the Hall of Fame. And uh, Carl Malone and I have become, uh, you know, very good friends. Um, you know, he, you know, the, the thing that, that, that I did is I reached out to him and, and I called him because, uh, you know, so many times they show that clip on, on television. And, um, you know, I, I just wanted to relieve him of of his of his pain or or his guilt if he had any around it. Uh, so I picked up the phone and I just called him and I said, hey, man, you know, how you doing? And I know you wasn't expecting this call. And, and literally, like, you know, he almost, you know, started he, he got emotional, almost started crying. He said, man, you know, over the years, I've I've helped this and I just wanted to you know, let you know that, hey, I, I didn't mean to do that to you. Uh, you know, back in the day, this is just how we played. Uh, you came down the lane and, you know, that's, you know, I went, he said, I meant to foul you hard, but I didn't mean to do that to you. And and since then, you know, we, we've uh, talked often, um, you know, as you know, he's a big hunter. Uh, he also is in the, in the trucking uh, business. He's also in the spirit space. Uh, we've collaborated on doing some business together. Uh, I'm in business down in Louisiana. He's from Louisiana. So I've gotten to know Carl uh, very well. Uh, I have a great deal of respect for him. And you know what happened between the four lines? That stayed between the four lines. But I'm, I'm happy to know him as a person. And uh, I've gotten to like the person that I've, uh, you know, gotten to know off the court. And I've known Stockton better than him. But, you know, I, I like Carl also. So let me ask you this, and I wasn't planning on going here, but just listening to that story about you and Carl connecting and just your spirit, now that you're not a competitor in basketball, is it a different spirit amongst your former peers and colleagues? And I ask that question because the reputation, oh, we can't have Isaiah on the Olympic team because nobody likes Isaiah. I haven't met any, and, and again, this isn't a shot at anybody else I've met in the NBA, but I haven't met any NBA player more likable, more approachable. 
more down to earth than you. And so I'm wondering, is there a difference in your spirit approach with these guys now that you guys aren't competitors? And, and th this reputation that somehow people couldn't get along with you when you were playing, fair, unfair, and I'm, I'm talking about mostly about your, the guys on your team obviously loved you, but your peers in the NBA, according to all the hype, like nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to mess with us. I'll keep it real, according to the last dance. Come on, man. <laughs> keep it real. Now, that's what, see, that, that's why me and you get along, Isaiah. See, he, he be pussyfooting himself all around. I try to keep it real. And I'm so glad you're here. Don't go to that grill anytime soon. I need you to stay involved in this conversation. <laughs> Uh, but no, you know, when you say according to the narrative, right, it, it really is only one person. They, you know, it, it was, you know, it was Jordan. This is what he wanted. This is what how he portrayed that he wanted it to be. And then, you know, they 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 kind of said, well, everybody. But at the end of the day, when you talk to everybody, uh, whether it be Barkley, uh, whether it be Patrick Ewing, whether it be John Stockton himself, whether it be others, they they've all come out publicly and said that, you know, that that wasn't their feelings about me. So only one person had that 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 feeling about me. And, you know, let's just keep it 100 and call it what it is. You know, and since we're going to keep it 100, you should have just. Hey, man, Rick Mahorn's not coming with me. Bill Lambert, it's just me. I'm not. <laughs> That's who he's really mad at. That's who put him on his ass. But <laughs> anyway, uh, let me get back to some topics that I. Let me just say this to you. The, the, Those 43 yeah. stitches that I got in my head, I can say emphatically, inaccurately, and factually, there is no player during my period of time of playing in the NBA took more physical punishment going down the lane than Isaiah Thomas. Say it again. Say it again. Accurately, say it one more time. factually, and documented. There is no player that took more physical abuse going down the lane than Isaiah Thomas. Those are facts. Mm. Now, that, that's... They, they show the Pistons hitting Jordan. Okay, well, you know, they act like Jordan and the Bulls act like they didn't have enforcers. Oakley didn't play with him. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Conway was his team. <laughs> You know, they, they they had some enforcers, Dave Corzine, you know, all the way back through the day. Artist Gilmore, I mean, he, he played with some rough boys. And the way they painted it is like, them guys weren't on his team. So I was getting hit too. I just didn't cry about getting hit. Mm. Mm. Ooh. Ooh, that's Isaiah, can I, on that note right there, let me ask this. On that note right there, 42 stitches, right? I'm not going to put you on the spot and say no names, but, but how many of these athletes play in this game today? You, you, you know, because right now these athletes want, want load management and weight management and all this. How many games do you think some of these athletes would be out if they got 42 stitches? Uh, Keep probably, it real. Come on. Probably, Don't stop now. I would probably say 98, 99% of the league. The only one that I can think of off the top of my head that probably wouldn't go out, come to the top of my head right now is Westbrook. I think if Westbrook got hit, got hurt or whatever, you know, he's getting up and he's coming back. And that's because what his father has put in him. I can't think Isaiah, of it. Isaiah, you... Mm. 
Now you just made me ask a question I wasn't planning on asking, but I'm going to ask. What do you think about Westbrook in the dress? You know, I, I think that the, the freedom of expression, um, you know, fashion-wise, you know, I, I'm okay with it. Um, and if you look back in, in, in our era, right, uh, we, we had guys, uh, you know, dress in different ways. Uh, I myself experimented with different colors. You know, for men, you only, you know, you only got, you know, black, brown, or blue. Um, I was wearing a What pink. else you need? Yeah, well, you know, it all depends on, see, I grew up on the west side of Chicago where, you know, in my neighborhood, the fellas were very colorful in terms of their dress. <laughs> so they, they had the pink, they had the blue, they had the purple, they had all of that. So I don't mind Westbrook in the dress. Well, I guess I'm it's gonna, what I'm going to leave it alone. Is is it a dress or is it is what they call it over in um in Ireland is that kilt. is that kilt that kilt? So, you know. He got drawers on up under there. That's a dress. Cut <laughs> <laughs> it out. Whatever, whatever and you I ain't never to. seen you in no dress either, Isaiah. Quit now, stop it. <laughs> you, 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 you took forty-two stitches in the head from Carl Malone. Now you want to try to take up for this man wearing a doggone dress <laughs> after la- a white dress after Labor Day? Wait, you asked me how I felt about it. You didn't ask me if I would wear one. <laughs> I gave you. My how do you think his father feels about him wearing a dress? Oh God, Jim, I'm gonna think- send you out to the grill. No, no, you know, I think, I think, you know, his, his father, his family, I, I, I've met them and I, I have no doubt about who, who he, who they are as people and what they represent, what they do in the community, what they all about. So I'm not going to trip off of what he's wearing. I'm going to talk about what he's actually doing and who he is as a man. Mm. Let me switch the topics. I'm going to kick you out to the grill, man. Isaiah said he didn't want me to leave. I I heard what he said. So you don't care what your guests want. Boy, no wonder don't nobody want to come on this show. (laughs) You all up in the middle of my interview, man. I'm trying to ask. I'm trying to move the conversation, and you keeping it right where you did. I got to give it. Now, when the show's over, I'm going to tell you good job, because you did a hell of a job. But but I want to take it back to some things I had planned to ask. Uh, Isaiah... I am very uncomfortable with the NFL and the NBA putting, and all the other sports leagues, putting all this pressure on young people who are in some of the best physical condition of the top 1% of the planet, putting all this pressure on them to take the vaccine. I don't like it. I think the vaccine is for people like me, 50 and above, overweight. Uh, I think it's for us. I don't think it's for 25-year-old people, damn near in peak physical condition. There's just no proof that these guys are in any jeopardy. And to force it on them, I just think it's completely unfair. So now you ask me what I think? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, 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 I don't agree with you. Um, I think we all should be uh, vaccinated. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because we are in a global pandemic. It, it would be different if, if, if this outbreak was just happening, you know, in pockets of the United States. 
But whether you go to whatever country you go to right now, we're dealing with this virus. And and we have the ability here in the U.S. to really, you know, stop it through vaccination. Uh, everybody, you know, taking a vaccine. That's how we can collectively move forward. Um, now, you know, people who, who say they don't want to take it, it, you know, everybody has had some type of vaccine before. You know, when you were small, you know, in order to go to school, you, you had to get, you know, the chicken pox, uh, you know, shot. You had to get, you know, all your immunity shots. Uh, this is no different. When you, you know, when you went to Ball State and you played football and you had to check into your dorm room, you had to, you know, get your TB shot. You know, ev everybody has had some form of vaccination uh, in their life if you're living here in the United States legally. Um, now, with this, with, with when, if NFL, NBA players uh, having to be, you know, having to take the shot, having to get vaccinated, I'm all for it. I, I think they should. Uh, and I think everyone should. That, that's, that's my opinion. I'm double vaccinated and I'm waiting on the booster. And so let me say this, and, and you do realize how this vaccine thing is going to play out. It's going to impact black people far more than everybody else. We are the group that's most reluctant to take the shot. And so there's videos flying around. I saw this afternoon, a uh, black family kicked out of a New York restaurant by the white manager uh, for not being vaccinated. And so all these rules they're passing are going to impact us the most. And, and quite honestly, I think we have a right to be the most suspicious of the vaccine given the Tuskegee uh, syphilis and all, just the things in our past and our suspicions uh, of vaccines. And, and I think the other difference for a lot of people take black, white out of it, it's just like, hey, this isn't like the other vaccines that went through years of trials and was approved by the FDA after three or four years. This thing has been fast tracked but, but more than anything, I, I just think those of us that are stamping our feet and everybody's got to get the vaccine and screw the people that don't have the vaccine. I, I got people in my family, people in the community that I grew up in, they're going to be the most impacted by this. And, and I find that problematic and disappointing. So, um, you, you laid out a lot of things. Let me see if I can unpack, you know, one or two of them and, 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 and discuss it. So um, first, first I'll, I'll start off with, you know, who, who, has, um, who has it impacted, you know, most. And when you look at people who are in poverty, um, the, 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 the underserved uh, black and brown communities uh, by far uh, have been hit harder with this virus than most. Now, we're talking about death, right? You, these, are the, these are some of the people who have died the most when you look at who is impacted, you know, from a, from a death standpoint. Um, second thing, when you talk about, you know, our suspicion uh, in our communities around the Tuskegee uh, experiment, uh, from my understanding, the experiment was they did not give us the vaccine. They wanted to see 
how much you could suffer from not getting the proper treatment. And when we look at what's happening today, okay, everyone is getting the same medicine. Everyone is getting the same uh, dosage. Everyone is being asked to take uh, the same, you know, uh, uh, dosage, medicine, or what have you. No one is saying you take something different than the other person. Now, I do agree with you. There hasn't been enough study, um, and the FDA is still, you know, approven. But at the same time, we have to step back and say we are in a we are not in a, a normal situation because we are in a situation where we're talking about it's a pandemic, and this this outbreak is globally not just in our neighborhood or in our community. So I hit the pause button and, and hear your response. I'm glad that you just set me straight and, and I'm willing to be set straight. That's why I called Isaiah mentor, Jim. I said that at the beginning. You're right about the Tuskegee deal in terms of people being uh, un untreated. I, I, I'll just, I'll say this, what, what I'm gonna throw it back in your court. Everybody is trying to make this political. Like, oh, mm -hmm. Trump supporters don't wanna get the vaccine. And they're lying because mm -hmm. it's not Trump supporters. It's people, and then a larger percentage of uh, black people don't want to get the vaccine. They're suspicious about uh, their ability to procreate afterwards? Is it going to mess with your fertility and all that? And so I, I just want to again just say we're about to set up a society where there's going to be a segment of black people that will be based off a of vaccine. You're second and third class citizens. You can't go into the grocery store, you can't go into restaurants, you can't, and so you know what that means? Oh, I gotta use Uber and DoorDash, which is more expensive. I gotta use Instacart to shop, which is more expensive than shopping yourself. For something that is killing about 1% of the people that get it, and of that 1%, most of them are over 70 and most of them are out of shape and overweight. I, I've, I've made no, uh, I, I've been very clear. The vaccine's for me. And, and I, there's things I can do and have been, you know, Uncle Jimmy had COVID and was down for about three weeks and it was bad and it shook me up and it's got me really focused in on my diet and exercise. And again, we're not hitting people with that message. And that's why, like, as athletes and as a former, you know, elite, one of the, you know, in the top half of a half percent, why aren't we trumpeting that message of like, hey man, lose weight, exercise, take this vitamin D and zinc, and get the vaccine if you believe in it and necessary. But all we can, we, we just, we just want to pass out magic pills uh, for no any- No pun intended. For any, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> but we just want to give out magic pills for anything, anything you do bad. Hey, we got a pill. You can drink as much alcohol as you want. We got a pill that'll fix that. So right. keep drinking and blah, blah, rather than giving people real solutions. Yeah, you, you know, 
you you're hitting on all the the, the right things. So a uh, has the has the has the vaccine been politicized? Yes. Is it killing Democrats and Republicans, black people, white people, Chinese people, Greek people, Italian people, Polish people? Yes, it's killing all them too, right? Yes. Now, uh, what we what we have to do is find a way. A yes. Uh, all diet, particularly in 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 all communities, uh, you know, we we need to we need to get a hold of how we eat, uh, how we treat each other, you know, how we speak to each other, the language that we use, you know, all these things they they do matter, right? Uh, so when you talk about vitamin D, uh, you know, melanated skin people, we we get vitamin D from the sun, right? So there, you know, we the we have to make sure that we get enough sunlight. Now, people who don't have enough melanin in their skin, uh, they may not be able to be exposed to as much sunlight. So their vitamin D source may have to come from someplace else. Uh, so all of these things we got to get more aware of, more conscious of, uh, and, and yes, plus get the vaccine because all of that coming together does help. Now, uh, you're saying that uh, the virus only kills people on over 70 or kills people that are overweight. There are studies now that say that that's not true. It, it, it you know, it, it, it's kind of selective in terms of who it decides to kill. Some people get lucky. Some people get unlucky. And, you know, that's, that's what we're playing here with this virus. It's almost like you're playing Russian roulette. It's like, okay, I'll take the chance and get it not knowing if I'm going to die or not, but also not knowing what it's going to continue to do internally inside my body. It's not like it, 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 it goes in and then it, it goes away. There are studies now that shows that it goes in and it affects all type of your internal organs for a long period of time. So um, I'm just saying to you, I hope you continue to do research and know it's not just the Trump people who don't want to take the shot. There, there are some Biden people who don't want to take the shot. There are some Jimi Hendrix people who don't want to take the shot. There are some you know, <laughs> Rolling Stone people who don't want to take the shot. I mean, so I'm just saying I think everybody should get vaccinated. So uh, and the third thing, when you say it's going to separate us in society, uh, those who have the shot or vaccinated can come in. Well, what what all government has to make sure that it does is make sure that everyone has access to the vaccine. So people in the rural areas, people in the underserved areas and poverty on, on the west side of Chicago, we have to make sure that everyone has equal access to the shot. Now, if you choose not to get it, right, it's like if you got chicken pox, you can't walk into my store with the chicken pox and give everybody the chicken pox. Jim. You know what I'm going to do here? I'm going to move this topic to basketball because I know I'm smarter than Isaiah about basketball. He's, he's trying to, you know, work his I'm trying way. to figure why you ain't why you ain't jabbed him up a little bit. You kind of uh, let him. You, you, you kind of let him. I respect my eldest, Jim. OK. But right. when we move to basketball where I'm the expert, I'll be able to explain a few things here to Isaiah. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I want to see this. Go ahead. Isaiah visited Indiana. I'm actually from Indiana where, you know, basketball is like a natural resource. Uh, so anyway, uh, Isaiah, what do you make of this NBA offseason 
where I believe seven, Nate McMillan, Emi Oduko, Jason Kidd, Willie Green, Jamal Mosley, Chauncey Billups, Wes Unsell Jr. Mostly former players, black, all got these head coaching jobs. And so is this a new day in the NBA or what should we make of this past offseason and all the opportunities that were granted to uh, black head coaches? I, th- I think it's two things. I think there's a there's a cleansing of of, of conscience and understanding that um, you know the the former player who happens to be classified as black uh, does have knowledge about his sport and can communicate it in a way where players will understand it. Um, that that's one. Uh, two, I, I think that uh, the owners have, some of them have come to the conclusion that these analytic departments, these analytic stories, this analytic experiment uh, that they went through over a period of years, uh, most of them have found out that uh, it's not successful, it's not working for them. So they really are going back to the way it used to be in terms of former players, uh, people who have experience in the business, who have knowledge about the sport, that knowledge and that experience is now being given credit as opposed to being you know, distinguished. So therefore you have a lot of former players, the league is predominantly black, therefore you're gonna have more hiring from that space. I think that we have to credit Monty Williams and what he was able to accomplish. It's a copycat league, sports are. And so one coach gets hot and everybody runs around and says, I gotta get a coach like Monty Williams. Or in football, uh, Sean McVay had success and and took the Rams to the Super Bowl, didn't quite win it. The same as as Monty Williams went to the finals, didn't quite win it. And everybody in the NFL went, I got to have Sean McVay. I I, I think everybody owes a debt to Monty Williams and the job that he did. Uh, And it'll be interesting which one of these guys uh, has the most success, but I, I would say going into this, Chauncey Billups is under the most pressure just Mm -hmm. because of the way he was introduced in Portland. Uh, I I thought unfairly, again, I understand the guy had problems 20 years ago or just coming out of college or very early in his NBA career. I thought he was smeared unfairly uh, when he got this job because he's had time to deal with that. But he's also got an established superstar in Dame Lillard And I just think there's a lot of pressure on Chauncey to produce right off the bat or the media is going to jump back on him. But I know you know Chauncey. Chauncey, a great player in Detroit. Uh, Mr. Big Shot on Larry Brown's championship team in Detroit. Uh, What do you expect from from Chauncey Billups in Portland? And and what do you think he'll bring for Dame Lillard? And and do do you think they're going to have some success? They're in the West. It's very difficult. Chauncey Bills. Uh, again, you, you, you are spot on in terms of, uh, you know, him being under the microscope and under pressure. Uh, having Dame Lillard, 
and, and, and CJ there, you know, that that's an experienced backcourt and, and they want to win now. Um, you know, Dane is his own record saying that, you know, he, he wants to win now. So Chauncey is inheriting in a team uh, with players that want to win now, but a team that's not necessarily set up to win now. Because when you look at what the Lakers just did, when you look out at, at, in Denver with Jamal Murray coming back and, and a lot of other different, you know, aspects that's happening in the West, I still don't know if Portland is ready to come out of the West uh, the way it's going to be expected uh, from their fan base, uh, from their players. So Chauncey is under a lot of pressure. Now, can he handle that pressure? Absolutely he can. Can he game plan? Can he strategize? He can do all those things that uh, a coach uh, is required to do. However, uh, can he go out on the floor and, and grab rebounds and block shots and, 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 and put it in a hole and lead, he can't do that. Uh, so that, that's going to be the, the, the problem uh, I see uh, in, in Portland. But you're spot on in terms of um, the pressure that he's going to be under. Number two on that list, different kind of pressure, but I, I think Jason Kidd, he's getting to me perhaps – the best player in the NBA and Luka Doncic. And, and I know Kevin Durant's out there. I know LeBron's still a monster, but this guy's young. And, you know, we, we like to say a lot of times, oh, the, the black coach don't get the team that's ready to win now. And it's not that Dallas has a perfect roster. They don't, but they do have a big piece in Luka Doncic. Uh, Jason Kidd, this how much pressure will be on him to win? Because I think Dallas thought of themselves as a sleeper championship team last year, and that's why they had to dust Carlisle. I, I, I think Jason Kidd's going to be under some pressure as well. You know, you know, we're like, you know, pressure comes with what we do, right? You, 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 you want the pressure. And, and Jason Kidd in Dallas – uh, with, with Luca, I, I think that pressure definitely is going to be there. And there's definitely a win now, an expectation to win. But I think the most important piece of the puzzle for him is not necessarily what he does with Luca, but can he unlock Porzingis? Can he unleash Porzingis? Can Porzingis become that, that unique, uh, you know, once in a lifetime player? that we all thought he had the potential to be. Uh, we saw Jason Kidd uh, look, at, look at Giannis in Milwaukee, and he was the first one to put the ball in Giannis's hand and say, okay, I'm gonna make you a point guard and you're gonna handle the basketball uh, because he was able to go back and look at film and watch Giannis play in his early days when Giannis was a point guard. Porzingis has similar skills uh, the, as, as Giannis has. So will he be able to, to unleash Porzingis, get those two guys to play together, get them on the same page, uh, because they're not on the same page right now. But if he can get those two guys on the same page, then they got a chance to be spectacular in Dallas. I want to talk a little bit about Ben Simmons. He, he's been in the news. Isaiah, I don't know if you know this, but uh, as a young child, I think I was about 14, 15 years old, 1980-ish, uh, Bobby Knight reached out to me and asked me to spend the summer with Landon Turner working on his low post game. 
and I was able to share some things with Landon that really took him to the next level, and that's why you guys were able to win at such a high level. Uh, do you think someone could do the same thing for Ben Simmons? Is it, can, he, can Ben Simmons be fixed, or is that something where I may need to step in and try to help Ben out? So I, I think you, you can step in and help him out, not in a low post game, but if you can just make him <laughs> a better free throw shooter, right? When, when I look at Ben Simmons' game and I critique it, right, Ben Simmons is, is probably never going to be a great three-point shooter. Ben Simmons is a good low post player. What Ben Simmons' problem is, is he's afraid of the foul line. Now, we look, we look at some of the greatest scores ever in our league. When you talk about Michael Jordan getting to the line 10-plus times, getting eight to nine points a night from the foul line. When you look at Carl Malone getting to the line, you know, 10 to 12 times a night, getting eight to 10 points from the foul line. Magic Johnson's MVP years. Remember, you know, Jason, and I know y'all were Magic fans. Remember Magic couldn't shoot and they say Magic couldn't shoot, right? I spent two summers with Magic and all Magic did was work on his foul shooting. Magic became the MVP of the league because he became a better free throw shooter. Magic started getting eight to 10 points a night from the foul line. If Ben Simmons wants to become an acceptable, credible leader of a team as a point guard, you finish the game from the foul line. If he just simply becomes a better free throw shooter, free throw shooter his points per game average will go up, his assists are already there, his rebounds are already there. And if he takes his points per game up, you know, three to four points, possibly five, just by being a, being a better foul shooter, then Ben Simmons becomes one of the best players in the game. If you were a general manager, would you be interested in trading for Ben Simmons? 100%. Hmm. You think it's that, just make him a better free throw shooter and that's that. He, do, he doesn't have to have a mid-range game. I mean, Magic eventually, when left open, was able to knock down threes and knock down perimeter shots. Jason Kidd came into the league and he couldn't shoot from three, allegedly. And then he became a great three-point shooter. He, he can improve as a perimeter shooter, yes? Uh, well, yes, he can. So if you become a better free throw shooter, right, guess what? That's 15 feet from the basket. Now you're getting confidence from what we have called the mid-range now. So anytime you get a 15 to 17-foot shot, you're looking at that like a free throw. That's why back in the day, you couldn't leave the Reggie Millers and Ray Allens and Larry Bird and all them people open. They, they, a 15-foot shot, that's a free throw, <laughs> right? So um, once he becomes a better foul shooter, now his confidence will improve. So then he can move out to 17, 18, 19. But he's got to conquer the foul line. Once he conquers the foul line, then, you know, Katie barred the door. Only because uh, you've got this fascinating take. I'm going to move a little bit off basketball again, just jump back into real life. You've got this fascinating take <clears throat> that race is uh, a man-made false construct. And so, and he's been explaining to me, Jim, this to me for the past year. Uh, some, Isaiah's smarter than me. I don't know if you know this, but 
Uh, he's smarter. That's what he's smarter than me. And so he, he's, you know, he's got this degree from Cal Berkeley, extra degree. He went to well, Charles Barkley smarter than you. No, he's not. No, Barkley's not smarter than me. Bar and Barkley knows that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> explain to me, my audience. And Jim, did you notice, by the way, I told the story about me and Bobby Knight and Landon Turner and Isaiah just blew it off. Wouldn't even go with my funny joke. Wouldn't give me any credit at all. I actually rooted for them back in eighty and eighty-one. Landon Turner's from my city, but he won, be, be, because no because first of all, Isaiah's an OG. Okay, Isaiah's old school. Okay, Isaiah no pressure bus pipes. Okay, Isaiah ain't gonna waste no time with, with even responding to no dumb mess like that, man. Oh, all right, well that's that's probably Come on, true. Man. Anyway, could you explain your your? Go ahead. I did say thank you. When you run the tape back, you'll hear me say thank you for that. Oh, he did. He did say thank you. Oh, he did. Yeah, he did say thank you. Like, you got some more you want to give up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Isaiah, help my audience. Why do you think race is a false construct? So, so um, first of all, I'd like to give my qualifications for ask for answering this question. And you you talked about my, my master's in education from UC Berkeley. Uh, and my, my educational studies in this space is around race, culture, and sport. And UC Berkeley is the number one public research school in the United States, okay? Now, from my life experience of being classified as black, so I'm giving you my life experience combined with my educational scholarship experience and my qualifications to answer this question. So the people that I have studied, uh, Theodore Allen, uh, two volumes, uh, the invention of white, the invention of the white race by Theodore Allen. Okay, and then you look at John Henry Clark, you look at Omi Nwynet in terms of racial structures, and then also when you look at Frances Cress Wessling in terms of her theories on white supremacy. Now, those are, those are kind of some of the, the research books that you can kind of go and find and read and, and understand where I'm coming from. Now, when we talk about uh, the social construct of race, scientifically, bi biologically, science has confirmed that there is no such thing as race, okay? Now, there are racial classifications, just like in South Africa, where they had apartheid. We are in a color-coded apartheid system that, that talks about us as black people, white people, yellow people, people of color. We have all been taken out of all nationalities, white folk included. You grew up with Irish, Italian, Greek, Polish, now they all classify as white. We, you know, aboriginals born here in America, your mama born here, your grandmama born here, your great, 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 all them, you know, everybody, we come from the land, but our nationality has been stripped and taken away from us. And we're put in these color coded boxes and we're governed, we're ruled under this colored apartheid system of black, white, red, yellow, blue, people of color. I'll hit the pause button and see if you have any questions.
I, everything you've said so far, I tend to agree with. Uh, my, th where I'm at on the issue in terms of like, I guess I've kind of accepted the color coding, but I've moved on to like, culture is far more important than color. And it's like, what culture, what's your worldview, what's your life philosophy, what are the customs that you think are appropriate behavior and appropriate just way of looking at what, that's far more important than what your skin color is. That's where I'm at, but to, am I wrong? Am I right? Am I, that's well, no, my view. No, no, you're, you're, you're right, and those are those are different. Those are big words with different, you know, classifications. So when you when you talk about culture, right, we do have a black culture, uh, and and because we have been classified as black in this system, um, and in this system we've been classified as as Negro, colored, black, colored. Afro American. Afro African American, some other. We we've been called everything but American. <laughs> we can't we can't claim our nationality as as Americans. Um, and so, therefore, there's been this second class status when you when you say black as a race. So they have us talking race, okay? When there's really race is a social construct. It really doesn't exist. So when we classify as black, that means that in this system, right, you are classifying as someone who doesn't have nationality or claim to the land, which they call birthrights. So the white male has never, the classified white male has never had to fight for voting rights. He's never had to fight for equal rights. He's never had to fight for civil rights. He's born with what they call birth rights. You've had to have your birth certificate changed, just like I did, from Negro to black. I mean, uh, black color. I mean, remember, we had to take Negro off our birth certificates. Okay. Why? Because that meant that you were classified as second class citizens. Well, today we're still fighting for voting rights, civil rights, equal rights. We are not granted birth rights in this color-coded caste system that we have in America. When you talk black, white, people of color, you know, that comes with legal concepts, that come with legal terms. And then when you look up the definitions of these words, right? When you look up at, when you look up the definition of black, it, you know, we, we want to change the definitions of words, but we can't. You know, language is what language is. But when you go to the dictionary and you look up the definition of black, the first thing that's in that box next to the word black, it says adjective. Now, we know that a noun is a person, place, or thing. An adjective, you are not a person. So when you classify as black in terms of race, you're basically taking yourself out of personhood 
And that's the definition. Now, we, we do have, you know, connotative and denotative language. We, we tend to speak in connotative language where it's acceptable. Like when we say bling bling, we say, oh, that means a diamond. Well, when you go someplace else, they call a diamond a diamond, <laughs> you know? Now, when you travel outside of America, Jason, and you've traveled outside of America, on your passport, and you go to different countries, you classify as an American from the United States. When you come back into America, then you get reclassified as black. Any white person traveling outside of America, when he or she goes to another country, they classify as American. When they come back into this country, that's the only time they call themselves white or we refer to them as white, black, yellow, blue, green people. I'm going to rattle off some. I was writing notes. Uh, I want to. Who do you think's doing the classifying, though? Because the government, I think we I think are. They, well, again, well, but I, I think like some yeah, we, are, we we have we have we have nationality. Race. And, and race is kind of like race is kind of like Santa Claus. If you believe in it, it exists. OK, that's the science of it. Right now, there's only well, no one believes in it more than us, though, Isaiah. I, well, I think we believe in race more than anybody. We're letting the Associated Press and everybody. We're going to capitalize the B in black. We're going to really set y'all apart from everybody else and, and give y'all a little special distinction. Lean into your color. And t to me, I know a lot of people, black and white, that really all they want to be is American. And, f and for me, just for me, and again, I, I just, just judge me as a Christian. I want to be a part of Christian culture. And th that's for me. Now, I'm not saying everybody's got to be, but there are more important things than my skin color. And maybe there's people that have other religions. Prioritize that. I see us as black people. Jesse Jackson's the one that said, hey, let's call ourselves African-American. Let's let's quit calling ourselves Negro. It's like we keep coming up with all these different classifications. And now in the since when George Floyd died, the Associated Press said, well, OK, George Floyd now says y'all get a capital B uh, <laughs> anytime we write and talk about y'all. And then you said uh, we have black culture, and I don't want to give you too much to unpack, but we have, we have a black culture, and, and, but you said race is a false construct. So if race is, how can we have black culture? Because some of the things that the media has defined as black culture, I want no parts of. I, I, there's, there's a bunch of stuff going on in black culture in terms of the, the profanity, the, the, the use of the N-word, the, the music that we say is black culture that is insane. And again, I used to listen to the stuff, and I'm friends with rappers, and I, and I get it. I mean, I'm not trying to distance myself from the depravity of it, but I'm not letting that define, that's our culture? WAP? That, that, that's our culture? I, I, Twerk. Completely, I completely reject it. And so I just I want to be a part of Christian culture, American culture. And, you know, if I've had a couple of drinks, maybe I want to be a part of, you know, 
briefly some other, <laughs> but mostly you do you be you do so good. Man. You, <laughs> I gotta tell Tony Isaiah he do so good. Then <laughs> splash. What's that in the water? Oh, that's Jason. I gotta keep it real, Jim. There you go. I I'm not perfect. It. God is still working on me. But it, anyway, I, I, that's so, and then so, I re, oh, last thing. I'm sorry, Isaiah. Voting. I don't believe we're still fighting for voting rights. That's a media bullshit. Uh, you know, I, I, that, 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 that asking people for ID is not taking nobody's voting rights. If you want to vote, you can vote. Time hey, out. Hey, so now I'm throwing it back to you. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to hit voting rights quickly, right? Um, and, and where we are in this country, again, in terms of classifications, you, you know, every, every 25 years, uh, the, the Senate gets together and they decide if you or me have the right to vote. Because again, we don't have birth rights. So this, this governing body gets to decide if you or I can continue to participate uh, because we are not classified as full citizens because we've been taken out of our nationality and put into these color-coded boxes. So that's one thing. Uh, in terms of voting rights. Can I stop you right there? I want to ask a follow up. Let me ask a follow up. Why are we not fighting for birth rights? That's what we, that, so, so. Mm. Instead of voting rights, why aren't we fighting for birth rights? So when you go back to Carter G. Woodson, the miseducation of the Negro, we have been miseducated about this thing they call race. And we were fighting for nationality. We did not want to be dehumanized. When you talk about, you know, the, the, the Memphis March, when they had on their signs, I am a man, right? Why was it said, I am a man? Because of dehumanization and taking you out of your nationality. They didn't want to be called Negro. They didn't want to be called color. They didn't want to be called colored. Uh, and if you go back and you look at the, the, the pictures where we are today, right, they had fountains that said colored people, white people. Well, today we, we're fighting to be called people of color again. <laughs> uh, so, so this is the miseducation of us. Uh, and, and, and the miseducation, again, uh, you know, Carter G. Woodson, you know, read the miseducation of the Negro. We, we have failed to continue to fight for our nationality, to be uplifted back to the human race, have our nationality, and not have these color-coded boxes of black, white, red, yellow, blue, green. Now again, Jason, I'm gonna take you back to your childhood. There was a time when you were growing up in Indiana, okay, and there were, there were Caucasian or white people in Indiana who were proud to be Irish, who were proud to be Polish, who were proud to be Greek, who were proud to be Italian, right? Now, those same Greek, Italian, Polish people, they don't say they're Polish, Greek, or Italian anymore. They say they're white. How about that? I, I bet you if they're listening, I can't speak for them. They might say, no, I say I'm an American. I, I, okay. I think there's a segment of them would say that. Okay, and we, 
And, and, and what you hit on thirdly when you said a big problem is us understanding and, and claiming our nationality as Americans. We, we want to be, we, we'll, we'll say everything but I'm an American. You, you, can, you can say you're black, you can say you're African-American, you can say you're Afro-American. You can claim and say anything in, in word, in word. <laughs> except I'm an American, period. And, and there was a time when I was growing up, I don't know about this young, young group now, but when I was growing up, if you called me black, those were fighting words back in the day. Mm-hmm. Let me, I'm, let, I'm let me. Straight 100. I think we have made a critical mistake of, of not understanding our history. And I've made this argument before and we, we've kept you almost an hour and I, I, I apologize. I'm going to let you respond to this and, and we'll let you go and hopefully get no, you back go, and talk about some other things. We can go two more hours on this. This is important. Oh, oh well, I'm in no rush. And and TJ Huzpanzada will forgive me if I go long. Who? Uh, <laughs> TJ. Does he ever won a championship? TJ's my Keep guy. Keep talking, Isaiah. TJ's Come my, on, man. Look, Isaiah, the mistake we've made is not understanding that America is arguably the greatest human experiment in the history of the world, arguably, it's in contention. And that statement would not be true without us. We made America great. Now, people think when they hear that, oh, we built America through slave labor. That's not what I'm talking about because that ain't true. Everybody played a part in building and making America great in that aspect. But where we played a special role and should take pride and why we should be running around with our chest stuck out. Yeah, we did this and I'm an American and it's my ancestors is because that Declaration of Independence was written. All men are created equal. The Constitution was created and the very people that made America live up to those ideas, us. Our fight for freedom, starting in the 1600s, all the way through the 1960s, we demanded and forced America to live up to the ideas and the things written in that Declaration of Independence and U.S. Constitution, and that's what made America the greatest human experiment in the history of the world. A lot of people believe, I happen to believe that. We did that. It was our dignified fight. We held people accountable and made this country discover its better self and made it the envy of the planet. And we're running around rather than taking pride in what we did and what we forced this country to do. We run around trying to disavow the country and acting like pretending because it's all like we'd rather be someplace else. It drives me crazy. Nobody should be shouting from the rooftops more than us. I'm an American. We did this. My ancestors did this. Without us, y'all have been like any of these other human experiments. We forced this country to be great. That's what drives me crazy. You, you have four great Americans on your wall. You have Washington, 
you have King, you have Douglas, you have Lincoln. Those four great Americans. Thomas Jefferson. Oh, that's Thomas Jefferson. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So those Americans, right, what, what what they wrote in their constitution and what they have been striving for us to do is to come together collectively and eliminate the race box, eliminate skin color. Now, the problem with our history here in this country is that we start ourselves at 1492. We do not go back into the, you know, the 700s or 600s. We act like there were no people on this this island that they call Turtle Island before it was called the Americas, right? They act like, you know, we weren't here. But, you know, when the Europeans sailed over here, and they show you and they tell you in our history books, the European came to this land and he found people from all the way from Florida to California to Canada down to Brazil. <laughs> okay? There were people all over what we call the Americas. This is a, this is a, as as you said, this is a great experiment. This is a union of states. And it's the United States of America. Prepositional phrase, of, right? So this, we, we just say this is America, but people in Canada and people in Brazil and people in Colombia, they say, hey, the Americas, right? We are a, we are a union of states that is part of America part of this land. We happen to be the most powerful, but at the same time, yes, we all built this collectively together. And the ideals of this country is for us to come together collectively, eliminate this race box, and then be proud as Americans to say, as you just said, Jason, hey, look what we've built. Look what we've done. Look what, who, look at what what we are and look at what we stand for. Now, when America goes to other, or when the United States goes to other countries, they quickly point back to this system, this apartheid system that we have here in America, call color, call race, right? When you go to China, they all Chinese. When you go to Italy, they're all Italians. When you go to Greek, Greece, they're all Greek. When you go to, you know, Poland, they're all Polish. When you come here to America, they say this one black, this one white, this one, you know. So the international community looks at America and say, hey, y'all got some issues y'all have to solve inside your political environment. And until you release these classified black Americans and let them rise to the level where they can have full citizenship, then the United States, you're not living up to your words that you've written on paper. So, Isaiah, part of what you said is the propaganda, in my view, of America's competitors in terms of that's the little car. Y'all think y'all so great. What about how y'all treat black folks? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and there was a time when that very, very true. No question about it. But what what America can say, like, you know, we fought a civil war and sacrificed a lot of lives to grant to emancipate black people. And then over the next 
uh, 80 years. We went through Jim Crow and a battle over that and some more lives were sacrificed to grant black people full citizenship and, and you know, civil rights acts were passed, voting rights acts were passed, uh, you know, these schools that were funded by taxpayer dollars had to be opened up to everybody. But let's not kid ourselves in terms of China, which I've never been, I'm sure you have, uh, but, but China, black people are catching hell. People mm -hmm. of color over there are catching hell. They, they got some McDonald's you can't go in, they got some hospitals you can't go in. They got, they got, they- They got some prisons built just for you. Thank you, and, and, and I think Isaiah, you, you know this, I got a, a, a black kid from my college up out, had to pay $40,000, $50,000 to buy him up out of a Chinese prison. Uh, black kid from Detroit, Wendell Brown. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm pretty, as it relates to China, having never been there, I just kind of know how they treat black folks. I know how Wendell was treated and I know what he's told me. And there's been others that have had similar experience and I can read the stories. Look, America, not perfect by any stretch, but more perfect than our competitors and the people criticizing us. And, and, and the whole, the, the, the only thing I, I, where I would really push back is like, there's a propaganda from these communist countries, Marxist countries, people that don't believe in our system of government and the kind of freedoms we've granted. And, and, and I look at the elite class of global, people that consider themselves global citizens. Everybody wants things to be more like China, which China's run by the Communist Chinese Party. And so there's this whole propaganda campaign to try to paint America as a failed experiment so that we can rewrite a constitution and we can say <laughs> what well, we did, it was, it, was so, it was founded in racism and they never corrected racism. Therefore, we gotta throw this out and y'all need to be more like China. Y'all need to disavow all the things customary in Western civilization. And, and I just wanna say to black people, uh, before y'all throw out this Western civilization, before y'all throw out the nuclear family and all these things that are customary over here in America, open your eyes up and go look around the rest of the globe. You may be, the grass is not greener. Trust me, it's just not greener. And you're actually being misled, particularly those of us with any kind of religious faith, particularly Christian faith, the, 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 what China has to offer, what, what all Europe, France and Italy and all that, it ain't the same and it's not as good. And that's why don't none of us really want to leave up out of here. But we're so caught up in whatever's popular over social media and whatever the corporate media is telling us. They're trying to walk us that, you know, communism serves the elite. And this is why. And again, Isaiah, I know you come from. Uh, a back, I wouldn't say similar, but you come from tough, a tough economic background. I, I come from a tough economic background. Me and my dad living in a 400 square foot, one bedroom apartment in 1984. I just don't know a lot of other countries where you can climb that mountain that I climbed from that 400 square foot apartment in the hood to, you know, 
the life I've lived and been able to provide friends, family, if, if it can be done in these other countries, point me the way and I'll move tomorrow. So, so here's my, re here's my response. Um, and again, there's a, there's a couple of different pockets that I, that I have to hit that, that you've touched on. Um, I, and, I, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll just backtrack. So um, the, the thing with, with, with our country and, and the Constitution and the values and everything that's written on paper, what we're trying to get our country in America to do, the United States, is to live up to those lofty dreams and goals that our founders had for all of us. And, and right now, uh, you know, there's still a fight. When you talk about, you know, the, 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 the fight for, uh, for freedom in this country for all, you know, right now there, there is still a group of what we would, what have been classified and termed as white nationalists wants to continue to hold on to the white, black, red, blue color coded system. They don't want all of us to be classified as Americans. Now that's a small, I think that's a small minority of the American population, but it's still here fighting for what they still call the Civil War or you know the North against the South. Uh, that, that's part of the fight is to maintain this color-coded caste system that we're in, not to let us rise to the level where we're all Americans. Now, when we, when we, when we go over to uh, China and other countries and we talk about the, the, the colorization of discrimination against people of color in other countries, that's when you go to, you know, Francis Crest Wesling's theory of global system of white supremacy, where skin color, dark melanated skin, biologically, scientifically, genetically overpowers white Caucasian skin uh, when they mate, when they come together. Uh, so there's a, there's a system of globalization to keep white and black or melanated people separate so they don't come together and basically, in her terms, uh, annihilate the, the, the genetic code of what they would call the Caucasian right now. So when you look across the globe and you see the white system of white nationality, uh, white system, white supremacy, discriminating, oppressing people of color and keeping us separated is to maintain that system of white supremacy. So I'll hit the pause button and, and let you respond. Well, what I would say is, let's the white nationalist issue that people like to focus on. Uh, I agree with you, I think it's a small group. And uh, I don't think they have any real power at this, because it's like, I can remember as a kid growing up in Indiana, I actually saw the KKK. I mean, I, I seen them do a march yeah. with their little hats on and all, all of that. I saw, I, that hasn't happened in the past 40 years to my eyes. 
and I'm, there was something out in Charlottesville. I I, I don't know what, but they they march it's in so it's they 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 march in the middle of campus every year. So I saw them every year in Bloomington, and 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 gotcha. you know, again every every group every and and again this is the miseducation of of all of us as Americans, because all of us, keyword all of us have been miseducated, not just black, not just white. All of us have been taken out of our nationality and have been pitted to fight against each other. White, black, KKK, now, now why are we fighting against each other? We're fighting against each other for privileges. So when they talk about white privilege, what does that mean? It, does, it, it means that if you're classified as white, you get certain amount of birthrights that comes along with that. If you classify it as black, then you you don't you. It, best way I can describe it, Jason, is like okay, we're standing outside waiting to get in the club, right? And they handing out white wristbands and black wristbands. Now they, the white wristband you can get in the club, but you can go in the VIP room. You can get champagne, you can get lobster, you can get all that. The black wristband you can get in the club, but you can dance and party and everything else, but you can't get in the VIP room. The VIP room is birthrights. That's what we're fighting for. I, I, I'll say this. You and I have more access to the VIP room than a lot of white folks. A lot can I, more access. Can I stop you right there and tell you why? Now this this is this is so this is what celebrity gives you, right? Celebrity gives you the opportunity. And when I was in high school, a journalist uh, like yourself, but who who was of of of, of Caucasian race and, and classified as white, he wrote and said Isaiah Thomas transcends race. And I remember asking my sister. What does that mean? I, I transcends rate. I, I, I didn't understand. So that's when you say, okay, you can go from the the black wristband and get into the white place. Now, however, that doesn't mean that you still have the birthrights. They can still kick you out. <laughs> okay, that's why you know me and you we. We, we go in, we go in the VIP room and we get some champagne, but we come back out and we, we stay in that other room where we all at because we know we can get kicked out of that room. Because the only thing I would say, Isaiah, is that there's, and particularly you living in Chicago, you, you got to be aware of this is like, to, if we were writing down the list of the 10 most powerful people in America, right now, I think Barack Obama has to be in that list. And 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 he doesn't have the wealth, probably, of the other nine people that's in that list. But he is at the center of power and he did hold the presidency and he did have Eric Holder set up as the attorney general. And so they ran some VIP rooms and 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 there's other. But Oprah runs some VIP rooms. It's like, is there is there a better VIP room to be in than Oprah's? Well, I, I don't need no other access to any other VIP rooms other than Oprah's or so, some other. So there are people, we are a part of the power structure. 
Yeah, but Jason, I, I'm just you you missing you missing a key point because the the VIP room, yeah, you get champagne and everything else, but but what we want is our nationality back. So just because you run a VIP room, it still doesn't mean you you have your nationality. It still doesn't mean you have birthright. It still doesn't mean your son or daughter who's coming up now is going to have birthrights, right? So you may be able to form a little room like that, but until you can get birthrights and your nationality back in this country, and that that's what the fight is, is truly all about. And, and, and the other thing that we confuse, so when we're talking black and white, people of color, red, blue, and all that, we're classifying it and we terming it, we're giving it the, the terminology of race or the concept of race, but really it's not race, it is status. So let's eliminate the race box and let's call it what it is. You have white status, you have black status, you have people of color status in this country. So there, there's no such thing as race. It's all about nationality, status, and 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 uh, you know, and, and birthrights. That that that's what we're fighting for, and we want equal status in the membership in the union of the United States of America. And 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 what I'm saying is, there's a path for that, and should should we make the path perhaps easier? I'm for having that conversation, or should we make that path equal, more equal? I'm for having that conversation. But there is a path. And, 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 and what I'm saying is like, there's some, if you want to have success in America, there are some fundamental things you have to generally do. Graduate high school, avoid having kids, uh, before age 25, and because I, I think if you just do those two things, the chances of you living in poverty disappear. If you graduate high school and avoid having kids at age 25. And so there, if, if we're going to define our culture based on our color code as baby mama culture and permit WAP, and promiscuous sex and just irresponsibility and single parent homes and blah, blah, blah. You're not going to get on the path towards American status. And, and so I think what America is saying is like, hey, we recognize we place some unfair hurdles in front of black people, really unfair, and we have eliminated a lot of those hurdles. And, uh, and we've done it better than any of our competitor countries. Things perfect? No. But, but, but I, wanna go, I, wanna, I didn't get to finish my point about white nationalists. And, and one of the points I wanted to make is just, I, I just don't think they have much power. And, and I just can't get all that upset with them. And the reason why I say that, and again, you living in Chicago, Jason Whitlock from age 18 to maybe 25, 26, man, I must've went to Savior's Day with Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam five times. I got a shipment of tapes about every, once every month with his speech. That's a black nationalist organization that I supported 
you know, I was never involved in or whatever, but there's black nationalists, there's white nationalists. Do they have a lot? Again, whatever you allow on one side, the other side is gonna feel like they have a right. And there are idiots on both sides. And there are poor ideologies and, and stupid thoughts on both sides. I don't think that defines either group. And I do think most people, if educated properly, would be open to your argument that, like, hey, let's all come together as Americans. Let's grant everybody the same birthrights. But the, the little classification or the argument that America is ruled in 2021 by white supremacy, I think that's a tough hurdle uh, for people to, to, to climb over. And if, if, if the proof of America being ruled by white supremacy is, well, Donald Trump wants to build a wall uh, on the South border, if that's the proof, it's just not a great argument because I want a wall built at the Southern border. That's why I got a front door on my house, because I just don't let everybody in. I want the people, I want Isaiah to come in, I want Uncle Jimmy to visit. I don't want I everybody. Want a ball, I want a wall built all the way around on the fourth corner. <laughs> and so I, I just, I, so I think we get into, go ahead, I'm sorry. So, so, so let, me, let, me, let me say this, uh, you know, just, just in response, uh, because you know, we're in agreement in, in, in some areas uh, and then some areas where I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of push back. Um, so I do think that we have to take into uh, the totality of the, the, the oppressive system of this colorized uh, uh, system that we live in, what it does to uh, those who are classified as black and poor and in all communities how our social, uh, our social living structures, um, they're, they're just different than what we would call the, the norm. So now that being said, uh, there's, there's still successes that can come out of that uh, as we've seen as you and I are sitting here. Uh, now, in terms of uh, the system classifying uh, white over black, and giving white more access privilege than those who are classified as black. And again, we're talking status, we're not talking race. So when, when, when we're talking black and white, let's understand, I'm talking status, I'm not talking race, because I don't believe in the social construct of race. I'm talking purely facts. White status, right, when, when those who are running these systems these governmental systems, whether it be health, education, labor, um, you know, what have you, you know, anytime that person sitting at the top is classifying him or herself as white in this system, that doesn't help us. Now, if that person sitting at the top is classifying him or herself as um, Irish American, uh, Italian American, uh, Polish American, what have you. Okay, I, I can deal with that. But, but the miseducation, again, the miseducation of all of us, and we have, we have a lot of classified white people listening to us today 
who see themselves as white and want to help black people overcome, get up to equal status, but they're still classifying themselves as white. I ask all my white listeners and my black listeners, but more importantly, my white listeners, to please go back to being Italian, Irish, hmm. Greek, Polish, because in this system, if you're saying you're white and I have to be black, as much as you want to help me, you're not helping me by you being white and I'm being black. Now, if we're all American, now you're helping me. So let me, I, I think you just crystallized our debate. Your seem concerned with how they classify themselves. I'm concerned with how we classify ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that's most important. And yeah, we so gotta come out of black when, status. Excuse me? We have to come out of black status. Remember when you and yeah. I were growing up, if you got called black, we understood that there was downgrading you and those those were fighting words sometimes the way it was depicted or called. Now, the propaganda around us, you know, being seduced into these classifications, you know, by, you know, music, language, sport or what have you, you know, the, 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 the narratives, the script writers and your journalists, you know, it used to be, you know, you would interview me and then there was a guy called an editor. <laughs> who would who would edit, write, and then, you know, give it back to you. So we didn't always have voice. But now, because of people like yourself, we do have voice. And I think it's important that we get our concepts right, our concepts in this country that we keep talking about race, 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 is status, status, status. Scientific. We're driving that conversation, Isaiah. It's us. We, it, it's our and, and we 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 got to get some things right, Jason. We 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 have to get some things right. Again, our miseducation has got to be. We got to we got to have conversations like this more collectively, more debates. No question. And get, and get unified. Hey, the Italians no, have no, no. They have no doubt about. Hey, I'm from Italy. My mama was born in Italy, such and such, and da, 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 you know, and that, 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 that's my homeland. We do not want to claim our homeland here in America as Aboriginal people. We well, are the. And trust me, this is what the land we should claim is right here, the, where my feet are standing on. I'm yes. just. That's the land, the land I know. we should claim. I yes. don't know nothing else. I don't have a problem with Africa. I don't know nothing about it. I don't want to move there. I may go there and visit. But right here is where my father died. His father died. We didn't even know his father, but he died here, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> and his daddy. But, but Isaiah, I just, I just want to be crystal clear on this in terms of, because I, I, this is what I believe. I'm not going to throw anybody else into it. It's about how we define ourselves is most important. And, and so we, we have allowed corporate media and Hollywood to define hmm. and to, uh, to define black culture and to uh, pay 
for idiots to make music defining black culture as violent, misogynist, irresponsible, Drug. criminal, drugs. And so I'm, I'm gonna just keep it a thousand percent real and act like it's only me, you and Uncle Jimmy in the room and no one's watching. But, but if I'm a white person and somebody says, yeah, hey, I'm black and I'm black culture. And the first that they think, black culture? Holy cow. Does that mean you're gonna smoke weed all day? Does that mean, uh, you know, if, if we have a dispute, you're gonna pull a gun on me and you never hesitate to put a on his back? Uh, it, does that mean all these things that we have allowed ourselves to be defined under the term black? And, and, and Am I gonna have to give you some money for slavery? They're, they're, and so they're scared to death. And that's why I'm saying, I wanna be judged as a Christian American. And I wanna be judged, you know what? I'm Jimmy and Joyce Whitlock's son. I will carry that burden and I will represent them well. Lovey Kennedy, well, my grandmama, love to represent her. All this other, I don't want the, what we have allowed black culture to be defined as, I don't want no parts of that baggage because it will hold you back. And if I, I, I promise you, if, if Jimmy wanted to come in here and represent uh, uh, NWA and that whole lifestyle every day, I'd fire his ass and he wouldn't be here long. <laughs> now I'm just, and, and Corey, the same goes for you. Anybody wants to come in here with that bullshit and make me- I can't come like in here with my pants hanging off my ass? No. I can't come in here. Can't come in here. High. No, no. And so, I can't smoke a little weed every day. I w I'm into controlling what I can control. I can't control white people. I can control me, and how I represent me. And if we got into, and again, that same deal with me and COVID, where we started at the very beginning of this. I need to take better control of my fork and knife, and make sure I'm doing everything I can to protect myself and not think, well, I'm gonna keep eating at McDonald's five times a week and, and just take this vaccine and that's my COVID protection. There's, some, there's extra steps I need to go. And so me sitting around waiting on white people not to consider themselves white, not gonna do it. I'm not gonna wait on them. I'm yeah, gonna so define I me. <laughs> and make them deal with me and who Joyce Whitlock and Jimmy Whitlock created. You got to deal with that person and trust me, you, it's gonna be a long fight. You know, you, you, you've hit on a key word, the key word, you know, for the last, you know, four or five minutes of your talk was definition and define. And, and, and the power rests and those who get to define, those who get to give definition to. And what we have allowed to happen in our black culture is that the narrative and those who have been able to define and give script to in terms of who, how we are perceived in our country and across the world that script and that narrative has been given to the white male, basically, to write, define, communicate, think to. Now, now we get to, you know, what we talk about in terms of, you know, commercialization and co-opting. So the commercialization of us as 
black culture has been we are going to sell for profit all of the negative stereotypes. This is where stereotypes goes along with this artificial race box. Because with this artificial race box, I get to put stereotypes in this race box that I could sell. Okay? Now, what has happened is our black culture that has been defined and given definition to by the white male or white culture or white white supremacy, whatever you want to call the white who gets to sell this, right? They sell the stereotypes. And not only do they sell the stereotypes, but they've been conditioned and 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 want to buy the stereotypes of this classified black culture. So that that's that's the kind of the, the 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 ribbon on you know why race stereotypes for sale this is what white will buy this is what white won't accept now you talk about your childhood upbringing and mine Jason Whitlock the first time I got called a thug in my life the first time I was called a thug in my life is when I had on a Detroit Piston uniform, wearing number mm-hmm. 11, and a description, the description of my basketball play was called, I was called a thug, burglar, thief, you know, all, all the negativities that go along with that, that stereotype that you're trying to sell, that others trying to read, that that what is that that's what we were fighting against. Now we lost that fight. Our fight again is: can we put all that negative stereotype language back in its box, and then present the best of our culture, the best of ourselves to the world and to America? And so, what I would say. There's truth in what you said in terms of uh, who are the puppet masters. And so and so what I like to say is like the, the, the racism or negative stereotypes about black people uh, is a commodity. It, 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 it's like hamburgers or whatever. And, and so let's say Ronald, let's. Ronald McDonald's, Ronald McDonald. I, I hate to, I don't want to do McDonald's like that. But anyway, whoever the fast food kingpin is of racism, selling this racism burger. The, the problem I have is that Jay-Z bought 100 franchises. <laughs> Russell Simmons bought 100 franchises. Snoop Dogg bought 100 franchises. And they set up their franchise. Dr. 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 They set up fit. They set them up all in black communities. And they sell them the same thing as the main, as Ronald McDonald, I'm sorry, Ronald. Uh, they selling the same thing as Ronald McDonald and getting rich off of it. And and to me, it's like, and they won't allow anybody to set up a Whole Foods. Mm. They, they won't allow anybody. Like, hey man, we want to bring organic. We want to bring some healthy stuff in here to the hood. Get them up off this. It'll never food. work in there. <laughs> and they want to. They that's what's getting redlined. Don't you want to open a liquor store? <laughs> A Chinese food restaurant, a check cashing joint. <laughs> That's my, it. 
So I am aware that there are Joe Biden and I, I hate to politicize it, but, you know, this dude run around. If you don't vote for him, you ain't black. And, you know, his tie, his history and all that. They got us all out selling this negative black culture and, and, and no one's pushing back strong enough to say, hey, look, man, this culture they've defined for us is not healthy. It leads to your death. And all these little uh, franchise owners, Jay-Z and Russell, they're not selling you anything healthy. They get they they won't even let their kids listen to the shit they make. And I, y'all got me cussed. I said, hey, you took me there. This is a... <laughs> but Jason, you... you, you... Let, me, let me just say this, right? And, and again, yeah. uh, you know, where we, we are, we're from an older generation where we came, we, we came out of, you know, people fighting from the 1800s to the early 1900s. And there was a collective we that said, mm-hmm. we as a, as a, as a classified black, colored, Negro, whatever you call in this community, we are trying to move forward in this system together to say we want all equal rights, we want all, all civil rights, we, we want to be seen as human, right? I am a man. Now, what we lost, what we lost, and, and, and basically, you know, the the outlets, and, and Jason, you, you know this because you're a journalist, the outlets that we have to express our culture in terms of who we are comes through sports, entertainment, and the arts. They don't give us a chance to really do it academically and scholastically. Uh, so the things that they promote are the sports, the entertainment, and the arts, okay? Now, what happened is our, our, our sports, entertainment, and arts got co-opted for a long period of time where the script writers were able to say, we're going to give you the stereotypes. We ain't going to sell to you what, you know, your mom and dad was talking about. We're going to give, we're, we're going to give our, you know, white status what we want to see from black status. And that's, that's how the arts, sports, music business got co-opted. Now, I do believe it's coming back, but for a long period of time, there were no Muhammad Ali's. There were no, you know, um, you know uh, Thurgood Marshalls. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. There, there were no people like that, you know. For a long time, you know, they were silent. And, and I say in the NBA, after we walked off the stage in 1990 and Nelson Mandela got out of prison, visited the Detroit Pistons, and you saw a picture of me shaking his hand, hey, 1991, we were out. And there's been a long, <laughs> there was a long wow. silence. There was a long silence after that in sport. Where Nike was saying to their top athletes, right, hey, don't. Don't don't speak out on race. Don't speak out on class. Don't speak out on culture. And every Nike athlete, no matter what mm. level of sport they were at, they didn't speak. The only ones that were speaking was Serena and Venus and her father. Well, 
here's a, I'm going to put a little different spin on that because you hit on some fertile territory that I certainly uh, agree with, but I'm going to put a different twist on it. What, what happened, Isaiah, and, and, and it's a criminal. And I know some of our audience probably like, they, Isaiah says some things y'all disagree with. But, but I just want you to, Isaiah is one of the greatest human beings I've ever met. Isaiah's willingness to engage on any topic and not reach harsh conclusions just because someone disagrees with them. Isaiah is a statesman, a great ambassador. Isaiah should have been the face of sports. Mm -hmm. Isaiah was someone with the intellect to follow in behind an Arthur Ashe. The NBA, David Stern, and Isaiah, you ain't got to comment on this, but they destroyed Isaiah. And they, they went with they didn't want someone who could stand toe-to-toe with him. Isaiah ran the NBA Players Association, went toe-to-toe with him there. It's one of the main reasons why Michael Jordan got them $30, $40 million balloon payments at the end of his career. Isaiah was dangerous. And what they decided, we don't want dangerous athletes anymore. Muhammad Ali was dangerous. He was tied in with the Nation of Islam, and he was Arthur Ashe. Too damn smart, he was dangerous. They didn't want dangerous athletes. I'm not gonna ask Isaiah, to, but, but the, the athletes they put in our face now, they're not dangerous. They're not as smart as Isaiah. They don't have uh, master's degrees from Cal Berkeley. They didn't play for Bobby Knight in Indiana University. There's a reason, Grant Hill should be, and I know injuries hurt him a little bit, but you wanna talk about a spokesman, someone that comes from a great family, someone of great intellect, Grant Hill should be out front and center. Uh, but instead, we get what we sports get. Sports has gone a different direction, and the the NBA kids don't even go to college, or if they do, they just play around in college for six months. They certainly, you know, coaches like Bobby Knight don't exist anymore because they're not allowed to exist. It, it it's there has been a calculated move away from what they want are influencers who can be influenced. Mm. It don't seem like Isaiah was one of those that could be influenced. No, Isaiah, his own man, gonna do his own homework, his own research, reach his own conclusions, and and represent things. And so, to 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 that degree, I agree with you, Isaiah. The only thing where I would somewhat disagree, we keep looking for people to be Muhammad Ali again, and it's virtually impossible. The athletes just make way too much money and they have way too many connections to major global corporations to be outspoken. If Muhammad Ali in 1960 was attached to Visa, MasterCard, uh, Marlboro cigarettes or who, whatever, uh, he wouldn't be that kind of outspoken. But when you're attached to Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X, yeah, you can be that outspoken. He, he didn't have those corporate puppet strings, and that's where I am sympathetic to the athletes, and, and I think we put an unreasonable expectation on them to be outspoken and to be leaders. They just make way too much money, and they start making it way, you know, at 18 years old, these guys are already millionaires, 19, they're already millionaires. That kind of money at that age, y'all had to earn y'all's money. You know, y'all made nice money coming into the league, but you had to accomplish some things before you got the money. And, and the kind of generational wealth these guys get at 18, 19, 20 years old, good luck 
looking for them to be spokesmen of anything other than whatever corporate interest. And so I, I just, I think we, we're making a mistake looking for the next Muhammad Ali or even looking for the next Isaiah Thomas out of this current crop of athletes. So Jason, I, I would say thank you. And, and also I, I would say, you know, you, you hit on a point that I was, that I was trying to make. And again, this is why you're, you're a journalist and you, you know, you, it take me, it take me two hours to write some and it take you, you know, five words to say it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we, we, we lost all collective we. So Muhammad Ali was one who would sacrifice himself for the greater good. We had a greater good consciousness back in the day moving forward in this country that the athlete was responsible for upholding because at that time the athlete was the only one and the champion was the only one who got the mic to express what was going on in our communities. Uh, no one else really got to talk. They were held and rendered voiceless. So Muhammad Ali understood the greater good in terms of moving us forward. Fast forward, we've come to an age where even our music is saying, hey, I got to get mine, I got to get paid, I got to do what's best for me. And there have been, you know, you know, and, and people rap about it, talk about it, everything. so we've lost our collective we and it's become all about the individual. And the individual now can, can move in these spaces, but the collective we, which I still stand for, I still stand for the collective we, not the individual. <coughs> Excuse me. My mouth is getting tired, Isaiah. Can I ask Isaiah one Yeah, question? go ahead. Isaiah, you said that we have to eliminate the race box. Right. Yes. Tell me something. How do we eliminate the race box when we sing the Star Spangled Banner on this hand, but then we sing a National Negro anthem here? How is that bringing something together? How do we eliminate the race box if we're doing that? First of all, uh, great question. And so, and, and, you know, the, for a long time, we fought you know, not to have the race box in the census report, right? We, we fought a long time and, and, and they just really kind of got it on where we got classified black, white, yeah, yellow, blue people of color. Now, when you sing the national anthem and then you sing the black national anthem, the only thing that, that it does is it's emphasizing our separateness, and what our founding fathers, when they wrote the Constitution and everything else, they were talking about bringing us together under one umbrella, under one Constitution, where all men and women are created equal. Not these black, white, red, yellow color boxes. You know, we, we were aspiring to be that. So when you sing those two different anthems, you're just emphasizing that, okay, there are two different statuses, not races, because I'm going to call it what it is. It's status. There are two different statuses in this country, black and white. So there's a black national anthem. There's a white national anthem. OK, now, if you want to just have one national anthem, 
then let's come together collectively and decide, okay, what the national anthem is going to be for this country. Not just the white national anthem, because the white national anthem has classified as status. We can have an anthem that speaks for Italians, that speaks for Greeks, that speaks for Irish, that speaks for Polish, and that speaks for the aboriginals who were native to this land already. And that's us. And so Isaiah, <clears throat> what the only thing, what you just said, takes us down the path that they want us to go down. Well, let's come up with a new national anthem that we all agree on. And once you do that, then their next step will be, well, let's we come up with a new constitution that we all agree on. Oh, now let's come up with a new declaration of independence. And the only thing I'm trying to tell black people every day, like, hey man, I know shit started out bad, but that Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and National it worked for us. Maybe it wasn't intended for us, but it did work for us. And these people that want you just to throw these things out and let's come up with all new, it's a game, it's a booby trap. It, 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 it's, it, it's no different than the same people that ran the game and threw hip hop, again, you know what? The N word is now a term of endearment. We, the KKK, we're gonna gift y'all the N word. Here it's you can strong have- strong A, it's the strong A. <laughs> here, with the A, here it's yours now. And, and we, yes, we own the N word. It's our word now, oh my God. And you know, now the only people that call me the N word now are my black friends. That's the only time I ever get called that word. It's the only time it's allowed no, I, to be used. By the way, by the way, Jason, nobody calls me that. I don't let my friend, I don't let no, mm. I, no don't call me, don't, don't call me with a, with an A or an ER. I am neither one of them, okay? And, and, and I'm not saying we need to change. I, I think what, Jason, where you and I are kind of missing that in this conversation, I'm not asking for uh, to, to change. I'm saying that America needs to live up to, needs to live up to these written words that were on paper. And thus far, America hasn't lived up to these written words that are on paper because they still have us in these white, red, yellow, blue, color-coded status boxes. But if they allow all As of us to those beautiful words that are written on paper, we all got a chance. Okay, as it relates to birthrights, I think you may be onto something. I'm gonna look more into it the next time we have this conversation. I I'll have some level of under better understanding of it, not that I don't, but, but Isaiah, I think as it relates to the laws, and that's all a country can do, there are laws on the books. Do, do the laws on the books, are they fair to us? If we're going to sit around and define America as individual white people, and so Derek Chauvin, him putting a knee on George Floyd's back, 
and now Derek Chauvin represents all of America. Well, I, I reject that because I OJ Simpson doesn't represent me. Oh, what OJ Simpson did, does, do, will do allegedly has no reflection on me. So I could white people said, Derek Chauvin, what's he got to do with me? I didn't put my knee on George Floyd's back. There's cops out running around, black and white. Like, well, Derek Chauvin ain't got nothing to do with me. But we, a Karen in Central Park calls the police on some black bird watcher and somehow this says something about America. All, a, a country cannot love you. It, it just can. And the, I've seen the commercials, the NBA ran, the NFL ran. I think Dr. Dre and them was involved with it, Beats by Dre. And then the NBA players had jerseys on that said, love us. And, and that's the most narcissistic, uh, self-aggrandizing, sacrilegious thing you could uh, ever do. But, but a country can't give you love. Your mama can, your wife, husband, uh, daddy, friends, but a country, a country can pass some laws that protect you and protect your freedom. That's it. And, and so I think there are people that believe that like uh, at, uh, looking at the laws and, and the, even the special laws we have to make sure you know, we have all these civil rights laws and we have the, the, the Department of Justice has a civil rights department to make sure that you're treated fairly. And look, are they perfect? No, but they have them on the books. The country has, except maybe as it relates to birthrights, uh, has done its job. And we can't keep looking at these individuals or even group of individuals, even if it's a large group of individuals, the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys, or whomever, and, and go, oh, well, that represents America, and as long as they exist, America's not fair. America, no country promises you that. Uh, and, and, and just the reality is, for black people, uh, I'm just, I haven't seen the KKK in 40 years. Uh, the KKK has never pulled a gun on me. I've had a gun pulled on me twice, both by black men. Uh, and uh, I, my father, no one on this planet has ever been blacker than my father that I know of. Uh, and he carried a 38 every day of his life. And he never once said, man, Jason, I got to keep these police up off of me. That's why I got this 38. He carried it because the June bug and then was going to break into the Masterpiece Lounge and he was going to put that thing on him. And he did a few times. Uh, <laughs> and, just, <laughs> and so we got to come out of this fantasy world that the police and the, the Boogaloo Boys and the Proud Boys are out to get us. That just wasn't my experience. And I went to school with some white people and, 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 and got called the N word a few times. But. I just know when I every time I've gone to a nightclub and had to step through a medical detector before I got into the nightclub, when I used to go to nightclubs, it was always at a black club. It was <laughs> and when there were shootings out in the parking lot and we ran for our car, it was always me and my we was out at a, a black nightclub uh, and it wasn't the Proud Boys that shot. It, it just was. It was generally gangster disciples when I was growing up.
Crips and Bloods. <laughs> nah, we didn't have Crips and Bloods. Oh, okay. you know, we had gangsters and we had vice lords. Uh, but that that's, you know, maybe my experience is unique and I, everybody else that I see on TV, the, the KKK is running through their they hood every day, shooting up every weekend. I, I, I just had, that hadn't been my experience. So, so let me jump in and say, uh, so, so again, systemically, right? All, when you talk about uh, the, the KKK or, 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 or white nationalists, uh, what, what has happened is that the, these groups have become very strategic and where they become strategic at is individuals of that thought, of that ideology, who wants to continue to uh, tear down uh, what we're trying to build, where we all can be equal Americans. They're trying to maintain their system of white supremacy across the globe. So how do they do that? They infiltrate the systems where they become part of law enforcement. They become part of the judges. They become part of the housing authority because they're still citizens in the United States. So they have jobs, they have to go to work, but then they form groups. And what we are fighting, and, and, and I come from a law enforcement family, what we are fighting inside of law enforcement, inside of our judicial uh, branches, inside of our judicial systems, is there's an ideology that has been systematically, strategically, has infiltrated a lot of these places and spaces. Now, I still believe they are a small minority, but we can't ignore the fact that they are there and they are, they are, they are doing their thing in certain places and certain communities. And how do we collectively come together and root that out of our American system where we all can, you know, you know, like you say, they're black nationalists, they're KKK. Okay, how do we how do we all again get rid of this thought of race and see it for what it truly is in terms of status? Most of your white friends, most of my white friends, hey, they all want to be equal. Everybody wants to, to, to start at the same line. No one likes to feel like I started on third base and I, I got I got a home run. I, I disagree. I, you, you think people I disagree. Want you don't think you don't black think and white. Oh, God. Yeah. Look, I'm going to tell you. Let me tell you, you know, that, what I'm happens. But I'm saying from a governmental standpoint, when you're talking about because you talked about law. Right. And when you talk about yeah. law, everyone has to start and be equal. So you can't come I in. Agree. So you can't come in with with the stereotypes. You can't come in with the conscious thinking of race. Because when you come into a courtroom or you get arrested by the police or you get stopped by the police and you're not seen as an American first, then these stereotypes of the black status and the white status, they come into play and they're extremely powerful in what they call the normalization in society. They're societal norms. I'll just say this. I'm going to go back to how I define myself. I don't, when I get pulled over and I'm a bad speeder, haven't been pulled over in the past couple, two or three years, but I'm a bad speeder and been pulled over. First thing I let that cop know is I'm an American and I'm a, a licensed 
insured American. First, shut that identification out the door. That's the first thing I did. Hey, man, I, I got license insurance. <laughs> I ain't got no warrants. The dope's at home with the guns. <laughs> I let them. And so to me, it's how you identify yourself. And, and I, I just bend over backwards to identify myself as non-threatening. But, but more important than any of that, Isaiah, is just like, and I'm a, Jim worked in law enforcement for 17 years. He knows it intimately, having worked in the Wyandotte County Sheriff's Department for 17 years. The, 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 the thing that I think people like myself and perhaps others think is like, let's root the bad guys out of law enforcement and out of here. But we almost have no discussion about the white supremacists in blackface who have joined the gangster disciples, the vice lords, the crips, the bloods, uh, and all of these uh, rappers. Uh, you know, they called Larry Elder out in L.A. Uh, white supremacy and blackface. What would they call Jay-Z? I mean, go listen to the music. And I, I got it. I own the music. Go, go, the music Russell Simmons put, put out. I, I own it. I grew up on it. I'm not distancing myself from, but go listen to it. If that's not white, if that's not the soundtrack to white supremacy, I don't know what is. And a rat-a-tat-tat, I never hesitate to put a ninja on his back. That's the soundtrack. And so we've joined the KKK and we have to accept. And so unless we root out the black members of the KKK, it's, dead. it's really hard to root out the white members. That's... Isaiah, we just did two hours, man. And we can and do three, four hours. It was amazing. I mean, again, Isaiah, <laughs> don't say that no more. Come on, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm not saying, I'm not Come on, man. My blood pressure pills is kicking in. <laughs> this is, you know, and this and, and Jason, this is why this is why I'm a fan of yours since the days of Kansas City, right? When you when you stepped on the scene and you start hitting, you know, just real, real hard, accurate facts, and you had your opinions. You know, some we agree with, some we don't. But at the same time, what's, what, what we need is more people like you who will continue to look at it and say, well, there's two sides to this story. Not that we have to agree with every side, but at least you, you have enough um, and, intestinal fortitude to, to say, hey, that, there's two sides to this story. Not just the one narrative, we get another side. And so... Uh, I, I hope your platform blows up and it gets bigger and more people come and listen to you. Uh, people of, of white status, people of black status, uh, you know, whatever religious beliefs that you have. You know, we don't all have to agree. That's what makes this country so beautiful is that we can we can be opinionated. We can be passionate. We can have forceful discussions, but we don't have to kill each other. We don't have to hurt each other. You know, we don't have to do none of that craziness that 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 makes people kind of go that way. But we can have we can have healthy debates. That's what that's what America is supposed to be about. That's what the democracy is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about if you don't agree with me, I don't like you and I'm never dealing with you. That's not how we get along. Isaiah Thomas, great American. Uh, obviously a great athlete, great friend to have. 
and again, I hope that I'm as good a friend to Isaiah as he is to me. Thank you so much for this. I, I want to do it again because uh, I, I, people need to see us engaging the way we just did. And I invite other people, other athletes or uh, people with opinions and platforms, I'm always willing to engage with, with anybody, as long as they're coming from an authentic position and what they believe, and I certainly believe Isaiah uh, does and, and, and will continue to do that. Thank you so much, it was an honor. Uh, Thank you. Jim, and you, Jim, you were supposed to be out there cooking, man. Would you? That man, that 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 I ain't gonna cuss like you, but yeah. that ish done got burnt up out there now. <laughs> <laughs> no. you, you you hear that little beeping going on out there? Jim, Jim, I'm starving. Could you go? Because I'm gonna. Oh, oh, I can go now. Yeah, you can go now. I'm gonna. Oh, okay. I'm gonna tell everybody about good, I, my good friends at Built Bar, and then we're done. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't talk, know if talk I can about talk. Your good friends at Built Bar. Yeah. Because, boy, getting, I, get, I some smoke going on back here. <laughs> if you're getting tired of the same old bland, no flavor and bad taste protein bars, then you need to go and try our friends over at Built Bar. Their taste and flavor are one of a kind, and they blow their competition out of the water from great, great flavors like mint brownie, double chocolate, and two of my personal favorites, Rocky Road and salted caramel. You will never look at those boring grocery store protein bars ever again. Built Bars are low in sugar and calories, but full of flavor and have truly helped me in my daily routine to get back in shape. See how good I'm looking, even after wrestling with Isaiah for two hours. And when, you're, when you order these online, you'll get the opportunity of, to taste their newest flavors like peanut butter brownie or coconut almond before anyone else. So what are you waiting for? Go order your very own package of Built Bars Right now, go to built.com and use promo code FEARLESS to save 15% off your first order. Use promo code FEARLESS for 15% off at built.com. Woo! Now that was a fire. Is that tomorrow? Awesome. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. We are receiving all the seed when we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want.